right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we are sad. Today's a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Today is a bad day. You know why? Because it's the start of spring, and that's when my allergies start to really suck. What? No. Spring's a, start of spring is a good thing, I think. <laughs> Tired of being cold. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, basketball season's over, so that's no fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad. Dude, you know what's really depressing? What? It's like when they make the final four, I don't I don't know why. It's it's only an extra like two weeks, realistically, uh, of us to get to offseason talk um from today till then. But just being able to to talk basketball into the month of April feels whereas good. now it's March. To me, that seems so much further away from the start of like next season for because like our yeah. next well, KU football that starts at the what end of August, beginning of September. Spring March to September sounds so much longer than April to September was. I, I don't know why. Yeah. It sucks. We're now in the off season. Hey, I don't the like KU it. KU football spring game is in over, yeah. over two weeks. Yeah, and we'll be talking KU football here. Uh, we'll, we'll be bringing that stuff for you. But uh, obviously this week we'll be talking a lot of KU basketball season wrap-up and, and off season ahead, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. uh, we'll get into the KU game against Arkansas here in a second. The University of Kansas Jayhawks season has come to a close. Still won the Big 12 championship. Homefield Apparel is celebrating with the all-new apparel for KU alumni and fans of all ages. Head to homefieldapparel.com or the Homefield Apparel app to purchase these limited-edition Kansas apparel offerings, including T-shirts, ringers, crewnecks, hoodies, joggers, and more. Get 15% off with code ROCKCHOCK23. They have awesome designs, comfy stuff, even though KU didn't go as far as you liked. You know, you deserve. You had a sad weekend. You deserve to exactly. treat yourself with some nice KU gear for next year. 100% agree. So get it with Home Field Apparel. It will make you feel better. It will 100% make you feel better. Use code ROCKCHOCK23, which will make you feel even better because that's 15% off with code ROCKCHOCK23 with Home Field Apparel. So KU falls to Arkansas in the second round by one point. Pain. Mm. Not fun. Pain. Yeah, not fun. Um, you know, it's it's never... It's never fun to lose in the NCAA tournament, and, and I think no. that I—I uh, I don't know. I almost viewed it as like you know, you just won the title last year. Chances were you weren't going to win it again, even though you had a great season. You clearly had a shot. You were a one seed, right? But you would have almost figured going into the tournament, like you know, it's going to stink when they lose, but it's not going to sting that much. You just won a title the year before. But here we are on Monday, and you can still tell this one stings for a lot of people. And and I'm trying to figure out why that is. Is it because they kind of blew the game to where you felt like you shouldn't have lost? Like, would it have felt better if they would have got Auburn or USC'd or Villanova'd, right, where they got blown out? I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Is it because you didn't get a chance to 
Like you, like you feel like you didn't get your best shot in because you didn't yes. have Bill Self. Do you I think, think that's, that's why? why? Yeah, I think that's why. I think there's For also sure. a part of it too that as I'm thinking back, because and we'll do it, we'll do a segment on this later in the week. But um, just off the top of my head, when you think back to second round losses that KU has had, at least under Bill Self, a lot of the times they haven't had guys who had these like storybook KU careers who had ended that way. Now, obviously it did for like Sharon Collins, right? It did for Sharon and Cole. And that's one that would, would go up there. But when you think back to some of the recent ones, like when you got blown out by Auburn, yes, it but sucked. Even, or even in those situations, like you didn't necessarily maybe feel like you had a team that that's could what I'm saying. win the title. Yes, that too. And also it was the, the lack of maybe not as much attachment. And maybe part of that is because you didn't have a team that you thought could win a title. But this time you have Jalen Wilson, who's going to be an all-time KU great, and you have to say goodbye to him. Um, but yeah, you go back to like 2019, it's like, oh, well, Deidre Glosson's gone. He had a great season, but he was there one year. He didn't have a huge attach. I don't know. But also, I don't know what it is. Also for me, like, and this may be somewhat silly, I guess, but for me also, like, winning the title, it almost gives you a sense of, like, invincibility. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, oh, we won the title, and now we're like, now now KU's invincible. Nothing's gonna ha- Nothing bad's going to happen again. And then, you know. It's like such a reminder of that, and that's what's unfortunate about this. You really do have to enjoy the journey because more often than not, you are going to end up in this position. Not necessarily yeah. losing in exactly I mean, the second dude, there round, are, but there are without a Final Four. Right? There's 363 teams in Division One basketball. Yeah. All of them end their season with a loss, basically. Yeah. Except for the team that wins the national title. Right. And so, even if you... Like a Final Four, even when you lose, you still it gets celebrated. It leads to a banner. Kansas has, what, 15 Final Four? No, 16 Final Fours. I think 16 was, no, was last year. Uh, Kansas has 16 Final Fours. They've been playing basketball... I guess the NCAA tournament didn't start to what, like 1940, something like that. Uh, so that means there's like 80 years. You've made it less than one every four years. That means that <laughs> three out of every four times, four out of every five times, you're having one of these situations. So let me remind everyone, please enjoy the journey, not just the destination. And then when you do get to a point where you can enjoy the destination, it makes it that much better. Because I did see a few yeah. people being like, this season is lost. This season uh, meant nothing now. The Big 12 title was irrelevant at this point. It's like, no, you have to enjoy the journey. Yeah, That makes it all fun. That gets you to this point. And that is what makes this, I, I think, even more, to your point, like, devastating i guess because yeah you did feel like you had a, a real shot at uh, yeah, possibly th- going back I think to back the most i think the most uh maybe disappointing part of it is like for me it's like a what could have been type mm-hmm. situation because you had obviously extracurricular circumstances circumstances outside anyone's control uh with the bill self situation that that really kind of took the wind out of your sails if you're ku and it's not like KU couldn't overcome that, and they almost did. I mean, they, it was a one-point game, but it, that just that kind of feels like it's almost like a you know people will look back and be like, oh, that year, twenty twenty-three, what could have been, right? Like it doesn't feel like you get it doesn't feel like you get a, a satisfactory ending to the story. I guess going back to like the yeah. storybook thing, it's like you you don't even get a chance to write the last chapter. Basically, it's like you're writing a book and you don't even get a chance to read or write the last chapter. Because yeah. of that. And I think it's it's almost unfortunate how often KU has felt like they, I don't know, have had like a missing piece or whatever that is for these title runs lately. You think back to the stretch from like 2017 through what, 2019, where 
you had like a big man who was like injured every year. Or that I guess you even go back like Joel Embiid. Joel yeah. Embiid injured one year. Uh, twenty fifteen, Cliff Alexander was dealing with the. I think he had an injury and dealing with some NCAA stuff, so didn't play. And I don't know how much that one would have mattered, but certainly the Joel Embiid you would think would impact things because by the end of the year he was like the best player in in college basketball. Um, you think back Udoka not being there for the twenty seventeen team, which again I don't know if it would have mattered. Oregon beat you by enough, but then again. Uh, having a physical presence inside to deal with Jordan Bell when nobody else really could, that that would have been helpful there. Yeah. Um, you think back to, what, 2018, Yudoka is dealing with the injury. They were able to get through it nonetheless. Uh, 2019, Yudoka has the injury at the beginning of the season. And then you think back to the what-if of 2020 with the COVID year canceling yeah. things. Now you think back yeah. to the what-if of Bill Self. It's unfortunate how many, and, and that's sports in general. Guys get injured, and, and you have those what-ifs always. But it, it seems like it has happened a lot to Kansas, which, which definitely kind of adds to the... The yeah. pain, I guess, a little bit here. For sure. Do you think they win that game if Bill Self's coaching? Well, we talked about it last week. We think Bill Self was worth, you know, six to eight points off inbounds plays or off timeouts, whatever. It was a one-point game. I, I think, I think yes, I think you would probably win the game if, if Bill Self is coaching. And we, we also talked about how, with Bill Self, what makes him so special? He doesn't lose close games. He wins close games. Well, he had a close game here. You had a close game that that you lost, right? And and I think for KU fans, this is maybe a glimpse into a future that they don't want to think about. But this is what happens without Bill Self, right? If if your team doesn't have Bill Self, you lose close games like this. You don't always win, and that is something that is maybe hard to accept. But that reality could be coming soon for KU. But yeah. but yeah, I, I think uh, I think they probably do pull it out just because of. Just because of uh, you know, that's just that's just what he does. That's just what he does. No, I mean to your point. So I, I think over the course of his career, I don't have the exact number, but I, I found an article from 2020 that it was like 73 percent in. Yeah, I think five most, point or less games. Most people consider close games to be like essentially coin flips. Yeah, exactly. Like 50, 50. But, he but you're winning 75 of the time. Yeah, you're winning 75 percent of them. Okay. Point to this: this season, in one score games that Bill Self coached. I believe I I just tallied this up real quick, so I could be off on this, but five and one. Five and one. Yeah. So it's it's not a knock against Norm. I, I don't want to get into like any Norm standard. No, yeah, I thought no, Norm no. did a good job. He did an admirable job having to fill in for Bill Self. It's it's like when I mean it's just an impossible situation. It, it really is. It's like if if Chad Henney would have had to fill in for for more time for Patrick Mahomes, you know what I mean? Like clearly there would have been deficiencies there, but Chad Henney is not supposed to be the best quarterback in the NFL like Patrick Mahomes is. So, like, that's yeah. the thing. Norm Roberts is a, a, a very good fill-in here, and, and he's a great assistant coach and everything. But even if even if you acknowledge, even if Norm Roberts in, in this hypothetical world of where we would rank him as a head coach, even if hypothetically he was, like, the 15th best head coach in college basketball, that would still be a big drop-off to number one because that is what Bill Self is. So you have to yeah, uh, yeah. look at it that way and go, that okay, well, obviously there would be a difference there. You look at how good he is in close games, and why is he so good in close games? Well, it's because he wins on the margins. Because, I mean, if we're, if we're just going based off the most talented teams in the Big 12 this year roster-wise, where does Kansas sit? They're behind Texas, right? Yes, certainly. Are they behind TCU? I mean, it's close. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But maybe they're, not. they're close, right? They're close. Yeah, I mean, in terms of just depth, pure talent, yeah, just roster, of, right? In terms of depth of talent, yeah. But I'll say this: if they're you not, give, num- they're not number if one. If you I'll give say. Bill Self TC, if you give the TC roster to Bill Self, they're a one or two seed, right? Yes. Okay. Um, 
who else in the Big 12? I mean, Baylor has a lot of talent, but they don't play defense. I don't know how that, that one kind of plays out in your mind. Nonetheless, this is a good roster. They've got really good players. They're very talented. I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm just saying that this is not, you know, having three first-round draft picks on your roster or something like that. Bill Self is an unbelievable coach, and, and he wins on the margins because he does all the little things. He is, like, the best in college basketball at the— out of bounds plays, the baseline out of bounds, the sideline out of bounds. He's like the best in college basketball after timeouts, running up plays that they get you yep. buckets, counter punching against exactly. The team is doing. He's so good at in game adjustments. And so I mean, there's, there's been there was multiple games this season, yeah, where mm-hmm. like I, I look at the Oklahoma game. That's the one that sticks out to me the most. Where the one in Allen Fieldhouse, yeah, where Oklahoma was, they were playing a certain way. KU adjusted and Oklahoma had no answer. Mm-hmm. They Oklahoma could not adjust. They they didn't they it's like they they didn't even know. There's multiple games where that's been the case where KU was kind of struggling, KU makes an adjustment and the other team is unable to respond to that adjustment yep. and that's why KU wins. Now I do think there's something to be said about working the refs like I don't know. I think Bill Self's probably one of the better ones at that in in the country. I don't know, but I I think it, it just in terms of if you look at it as those little things of, you know, maybe if he's coaching the entirety of the game they have one extra out-of-bounds play bucket or two extra out-of-bounds plays buckets. Or, like, think back to it now. The, the end of the first half, I, I know this doesn't get remembered much because of how the game goes. You're up 35-27. You forced, what was it, turnover, shot clock violation or something. You get the ball with, like, four seconds, and it ends up in being, like, a Bobby Pettiford mid-range jump shot that gets blocked. Do you think that if Bill Self is the coach, they run probably something better that gets a better look? Probably, right? Yeah, maybe. Do you think they they run a better play at the end that maybe gets them a three as opposed to going for two so that they don't have to try to miss the free throw at the end? Probably. Um, so there's those. Then again, if if you just hit like an extra out-of-bounds play over the course of the game or an after-timeout play, there's an extra bucket and you're not even in that situation. And then the adjustments part of it, the basically final 16 minutes of the game, Arkansas basically just did the same thing over and over and over again. They were attacking you out of ball screens. They were getting downhill. They were going to the hoop. Maybe there's only so much you could do because maybe that's just the Jimmys and Joes more than X's and O's stuff where they were just running simple stuff and it was working. But I would like to think Bill Self would have been able to find some sort of adjustment that wins them that game. And then the last part of all this, the KJ Adams stuff. Yeah. KJ Adams gets in foul trouble. He picks up his fourth. I think a more veteran, experienced coach, someone who's been there, won titles, maybe a little less to lose because you know you you've you've been established, so to speak. You're coaching a little little less tight to where KJ didn't come in to like the seven or eight minute mark of the game after being with his four fouls, and by that point the game was already like kind of out of hand into a coin flip game. And the difference with KJ on the floor versus not was pretty evident because none of the other KU centers were really being guarded outside of lob plays. KJ actually had to be guarded and got some one-on-ones and was able to score. The difference with him on the court versus off the court was pretty notable to where if they would have put him in, I think Self maybe sees that the run that Arkansas was having with him on the bench, and they have these freshman bigs in there who weren't ready all year long, and he maybe goes, you know what? I need to stretch it a little bit longer. We're going to put him in at the 10-minute mark or the 12-minute mark as opposed to being out from like the 16-minute mark to the 8-minute mark. Certainly notable that he didn't end up fouling out, so he could have ended up playing more time in the game, and you just never really got a chance to do that. So I think all those little things, yeah. to me, they would have won the game if he was the, coaching. The KJ stuff, I think, gets exacerbated or looks worse because of the fact that Ernest Uday was also in foul trouble. Right, like the only reason the only reason the KJ situation I think is getting magnified is because you ended up having to play Zuby and Zach some minutes 
But why did you have to play Zuby and Zach? Because it wasn't just KJ, it was Ernest also, who had three fouls in the span of three minutes, basically. I mean, in the first half, he gets two moving screen calls in literally like 30 seconds of game time, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, the, I mean, the, the KJ stuff, you, you can t- you can argue about that, yeah, but I think it gets a little a little uh, over-magnified because of the fact that Ernest Duda was also in foul trouble. Because if you're able to play Ernest for that time period, maybe it doesn't, maybe things don't unravel as quickly as they did for Kansas during that time period, and it, and it ends up being okay. Like, you're able to end up kind of to weather the storm a little bit. But because they were both in foul trouble and you had to look to Zuby and Zach, two guys that have played pretty sparingly down the stretch, right? Certainly not in uh, what we would call the Bill Self circle of trust at that point in the season. But they did have to play extended minutes because of the fact that it wasn't just KJ, but it was also Ernest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough, but that's, you know, that's one of those situations where if you do bring in KJ at the 11-minute mark, what if he does pick up his fifth foul? I mean, that was... The, the officiating in that game was was very erratic. And I honestly, I think KJ deserves a ton of credit for how long he did play with four fouls and didn't pick up his fifth. I mean, he basically played for the last seven minutes without getting a fifth foul, which yeah. in that game, with the way it was being officiated, that was very impressive to me. I thought that was extremely impressive that he was able to navigate that without getting that fifth foul, right? Because there was definitely some inconsistencies in the second half with officiating in which there could have easily, you know, some calls could have maybe gone against him or whatever, but... The fact that he was able to to maneuver his way through there without picking up a fifth foul was significant. But maybe an extra three minutes and suddenly he does. Uh, so, you know, it's it's tough to say. But I, I think, to me, the bigger thing there was just the fact that it was also Ernest, right? That when With Ernest in foul trouble, that really, that really, really ties your hands if you're Norm Roberts as to what you want to do. Because at that point, your options are roll with Zach and Zuby or put Jalen at the five and throw out Bobby, Joe, Dewan, and Grady and... Kevin at the other positions, right? But we've also seen that lineup at other times this season, and it hasn't been good either. And especially against a team like Arkansas, who I think when they when they brought Jordan Walsh off the bench, I think their shortest player in their lineup was like six five. So and they were attacking the rims. So yeah, so yeah. that wouldn't work with three guards, right? With with Dewan, Bobby, and Joe out there at the same time. Yeah, and and you even wonder if like Bill Self, we've seen this in in some games with Bill Self, he'll throw out a junk defense. You know, he'll be like, "Hey, we're gonna play triangle and two. Yeah. We're and gonna they, do and box actually, and one." And they did run zone. Yeah, they did run zone bit. out of Very like little. out Very of little. like one timeout. Yeah. They ran zone for like two possessions, mm-hmm. and that was it. But it did it worked. I mean, it disrupted Arkansas for those yeah. two possessions. Well, and so yeah, so I mean, you don't blame Bill Self for not coaching. Like, do what's best for you. Get get healthy. Like, he probably wouldn't have been able to coach at at a hundred percent anyway. It's just. More so unfortunate that if you would have had a fully healthy Bill Self, you do probably end up winning that game. But that obviously just wasn't in the cards. And you know what? I even look back at the box score, and I, and it almost confuses me how they lost the game. They shot 48% from the field. Kansas did. 30, about 8.5% from three. They only had two more turnovers than Arkansas, so it's not like you lost a ton of possessions there. And yes, Arkansas did get a bunch of offensive rebounds. They doubled you up 14-7. to seven. But they also shot just 41% from the floor, and they were 3 of 15 from 3. This was not the case of what Creighton almost did last year where they hit like 14 threes and almost beat you that way. This was not Northern Iowa where, you know, they're hitting all these shots from the outside. This was this Arkansas was just, just kind Arkansas of getting just to the rim. Kind of out-athleting. Grinding you. Yeah. yeah, kind of out-athleting you and having some guys off the bench that could do a little bit more of that as well uh, in the second half. and. Because you're right, in the first half, Kansas shot 50%. Kansas played mm-hmm. pretty well. And, in fact, the first nine minutes of the game, KU was was dominating, absolutely dominating. 
And I I do think that at that stage of the game, it didn't feel like KU buried Arkansas enough, right? It felt like they kind of let them get back up off the mat a little bit. Uh, I think it got to like 11-2, maybe 13-2. That, that wasn't enough, right? You needed to bury them a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, to really break them because that's an Arkansas team that has had some games where they've been broken, right? And that just didn't it just didn't really happen for him in the, in this game for Kansas and but yeah I think in the second half it was just it was just Arkansas out 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 athleting you yeah I mean they just had some guys off the bench and you know it became kind of a dirty grimy game and and they took advantage of that yeah and you look at a lot of the things that we were worried about with Kansas and and a lot of them came back to haunt you the the lack of depth yeah, I mean, what was the hurt one thing, you with the foul trouble yeah exactly what was the one thing that we talked about all last week that could that could take Kansas out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Foul trouble, yeah, and look what happened. Because we said, you know, hey, you need three or four of your starters to play at a pretty high level, and if one of them has to be on the bench for nine minutes of the second half, that not not only are they not playing, not only can they not play badly at that point, they mm-hmm. they're not playing at all. Yeah, they're not even out there. I mean, that was up there inconsistencies of Grady Dick. Like that was up there. Uh, what happens if if Jalen gets cut off and can anybody else create a bucket consistently enough? Like maybe that was a little bit up there. Um, but I don't know. The one thing that that I didn't really have on that list. It was KU's defense, you know, because think about it. You give up 45 points in the second half to an Arkansas offense that could not shoot. Yeah. So as much as as much as they had struggles in this area or that area, whatever, that was kind of the one. And and I guess looking back, like a lot of it was because you struggled with defensive rebounding. Not getting the defensive rebound on on the missed free throw was an absolute killer. And that was one of 14 offensive rebounds for them. So maybe that was it. The because we did note that that you know when they have bad defense rebounding well, games. One thing we certainly didn't expect to be potentially a problem for Kansas would be for Dewan Harris to have yeah. unforced turnovers. Well, that's what's crazy. Think and about the, all the things that had to go wrong for them in the second half. Yeah, you had that offensive lull for about four or five minutes in the second half. Uh, the defense fell apart the second half. You had the 10-second call, which for a lot of people was probably a signal right there they're going to lose because you remember 2013. Uh, the free throw. That was definitely the first, like, uh-oh. Yeah, moment. the the free throw disparity, not in terms of who shot more, uh, in terms of the percentage. Arkansas shot 81%. You shot 72 Arkansas coming in, they rank in the 300s in free throw percentage. You have kind of been, like, very average at free throws all year long, and you missed two front end of one-and-ones. That kind of loses you the game. Uh, the lack of defensive rebounding, not drawing up the play from three, not executing the missed free throw. So much stuff had to go wrong for KU in the end, and they still only lost by one point because sometimes March is just fickle, and I think we saw a little bit of both of those in that game. One was just, yeah, some of their weaknesses came back to bite them, and two was just weird stuff happens in March, and this is why no defending champ has made the second weekend since 2016 because weird stuff happens, and it's hard to make runs back-to-back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not easy, and and the the ten second call against Dewan is something that's like that's just, just something so you don't expect a guy like that to happen, right? And you know that's that was that was a pretty devastating moment in the game. You just worked hard to get a stop, and then you give the ball right back, and Arkansas ended up scoring on that possession to make it a four point or make it a two point game, I think, at that point. So that was really unfortunate. And when you look at Jalen on the stat sheet, you think, oh, twenty points. You know, he had a, he had a pretty good game. Well, he ended up going 9 of 11 from the free throw line. So in terms of impactful buckets from the floor, he was only 5 of 9 from the floor, which is which is pretty efficient for what he's done, but it didn't feel like he it wasn't a it wasn't a 20 points Jalen takeover game. You know, he had, he went 9 of 11 from the free throw line. So uh, I felt like you were missing some of that in the second half uh from Jalen a little bit, but certainly a, a heroic effort and 
And then, yeah, late in the game, you know, you got 25 seconds, and Norman Roberts said post-game that he that the play they drew up had an option for a three-point in it, and they didn't take it. They just went to Jalen instead of drive. But that, that ended up being kind of your real one chance to get off a shot to try to tie or take the lead because of the missed free throw at the end also, or the made free throw, I guess, that yeah. you're trying to miss. And that's something else that I wonder um, – with Bill Self, if instead of him running a play where it has an option for a three, if it just is the option, is the three. You know yeah. what I mean? Which, because uh, Listen, Eric Musselman said postgame that they wanted to limit Grady to four or five three-point yeah. attempts. He only had three, right? Well, so, and, they, so from Arkansas' standpoint, that aspect of their game plan, they executed very well. Well, think about well. this, too. Like, Eric Musselman is a – he before he came back to the college game, he went into Nevada and then now at Arkansas, he uh, spent a stint in the NBA and – he has kind of picked up some analytics stuff along with him. He's a guy who would foul in that situation when you're up three, which ended up happening. I think Bill Self would have known that and said that, hey, yeah, we probably need to shoot the three here. You know, like that's going to be your best chance. Otherwise, if you get too late in the game, which ended up happening, they're going to end up fouling. So, unfortunate, the season is over. I'll have some more recap with the game, the season for KU throughout the day and, and the coming shows here. We'll also get into some off-season talk throughout the week here on RCST as well. Plenty of decisions that'll be interesting, not just from you know pro decisions, but maybe more so with the transfer portal, who's coming in, who's leaving the program. Marcus Adams already reclassified to 2023, so lots to talk about uh, from the offseason standpoint here with RCST. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Terry Nooner, the associate head coach of the KU women's basketball team, going to join us at 345, talk a little KU women's hoops. They are hosting Missouri in the WNIT tonight at uh, 630. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. One season coming to a close for the KU's men's team, but the KU women's team continues on with their postseason action, and that one tonight, and it is an extra special one because it's part of the uh, WNIT in the second round now. Kansas is going to be taking on Missouri. So going out down Fieldhouse, anytime KU Missouri, always a fun one to check out. Pre-game will start at 6.15 here on KLWN, tip-off at 6.30. We're joined now by Terry Nooner, the associate head coach for the KU women's basketball team. I guess first things first, to get to this point, you guys took down Western Kentucky in your first-round matchup. Uh, Tiana Jackson had 20-15 and 15 in the game. Uh, what did you think about her performance and, and what she did so well to, to come out with a big effort like that? I mean, I thought she played well. Um, I think uh, it was really kind of like an answer to she, she wasn't uh, too excited or happy about the way she played in the, uh, the TCU game, which was you know, probably her worst shooting performance, I think, since, since she's been here. And it was just one of those games where she just, I mean, just couldn't find a basket, even, you know, taking good shots and that kind of thing. So I think for her, she was just locking in on when to try to make sure she had a better performance than she did that game and trying to do everything she can for us to keep playing. Well, Chandler Prater came up with a double-double also, 13 points, 13 yeah. rebounds. How much does she add to the team when, when she's playing like that, when she's playing at that high of a level? I mean, I think it's a lot. It, 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 so much of, of what Chandler's, Brings probably doesn't even uh, – I mean, she had a great uh, performance as far as stats. But I think her biggest uh, asset to us is her energy, you know, her motor, how hard she plays, um, her excitement and body language and those kind of things. And, and she just brings a level of toughness and tenacity that we always need. So sometimes it's not always 
it doesn't always show up in the box score, but I feel like um, against Western Kentucky, I mean, she had a great floor game from making plays to scoring to to um, getting a bunch of rebounds. And, you know, she's undersized and has been battling against bigger people all, all year. So to see her have that kind of night was great to see. We're talking with Terry Nooner here on RCST. Overall, obviously, there was disappointment with the program to, to not make the NCAA tournament and – um, I, I'm sure that made it a challenge for you guys with the coaching staff to to try to rein back in the emotions and everything to get ready for what's still an important tournament here with the WNIT. So I guess what was it like in the locker room uh, for the lead up up to the Western Kentucky game and, and how did you guys get refocused into uh, being ready to go for that? Man, I, I felt like we had a great week of practice. Um, it took us a couple days. I mean, it, it was we were all in shell shock. I mean, it wasn't just the the players. It was us as a staff. It was support staff. It was coaches. Everybody was, was pretty, you know, shocked after the TCU game and then sitting there and watching the selection show and you don't see your name called and you feel like even with a bad loss, I mean, Brandon is a super number crunchers guy and all of the different metrics. Like, we fare better than people that were firmly considered in the tournament from – top 50 wins, the schedule, to net rating, to all of these different metrics that were, you know, that were used and, and selecting teams. So we still felt like we had a great shot. So um, it was just disappointing for for everybody who's connected to our program. So it took us a couple of days in practices and, and group meetings and talking with the team to kind of regroup. But once we got ourselves back locked in on, on playing games and having an opportunity to win a championship everybody was excited and is is that a, a bit of motivation for you guys now something to the tune of hey let's go win this thing and show them what they missed out on yeah i mean it's, it's that and then it's just i mean always i think you're always trying to build the best habits you can trying to build for for next season also and and um i mean our our ladies are able to see you know how quick things can be taken taken away from you. So it's just appreciation for having new opportunities to keep playing basketball. I guess that's a good point, too. I'm sure for the, the seniors, they enjoy extending their career and getting some postseason chances here. But, yeah, how important is this time for the development of players who are going to be back next season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's great because postseason players is a, another level up. You're playing teams that – don't know all of your plays, so it's and for us, scouting is a new challenge. And because we've been playing for two months against players and teams and coaches that we have a great grasp on, and we know what they do, and we know how they play, and we know who the players are. So it's also that level of of intrigue and excitement of being able to play somebody that's outside of your conference, and like you said, just to prove prove people wrong, have a chance to get better, and then those guys who 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 we who are coming back and the younger players giving them opportunities to play in the postseason. Well, now you guys line up with Missouri in the second round here of the WNIT. You get to host the game in, in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah. Uh, how special is that to get to be able to host some, some postseason action? Oh, it's great. I mean, you, 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 uh, I mean, you want to, you want to have a big rivalry game like this in front of your home fans. We know there's going to be big time excitement about the game. Um, it's a game that, and, and we know, you know the coaches over there in Missouri pretty well, even from my days as an AU coach from when Coach Pinson first got got there. So 
as an AAU coach and, and, and been playing at Alabama and the SEC as a, being a coach there. So, um, and having an appreciation for, you know, she's done a great job and just being able to have the game at home and you think about all the great games that have happened in the past and, and knowing how much of, of hate that there is, we're just happy that it's on our home floor and not over in Columbia. So what does Missouri do well as a team? What are some things that are that are going to challenge you guys tonight? I think the biggest thing is um, Haley Frank, who's their best player. She's an all-SEC kid. Um, she can play. She can post up. She can shoot three. She can score in the mid-range. Um, the way they play is more of a read and react and motion type offense, and they have a bunch of skilled players who can shoot threes. Um, so that's going to be a big challenge for us. Um, they don't play as big as a lot of teams may play in our league. So we're kind of using our experiences from playing the Oklahomas and the Iowa States in the Big 12 as we try to – because they're similar to those teams, but they don't shoot as many threes. Because, like you said, they're kind of a read-and-react team. Does that does that almost make it easier and harder to prepare for, easier in the sense of, you know, there's not really something schematically where you're you're looking for certain plays, but also a little more difficult in certain senses just because it's not really something you can prepare for. It's just kind of on the fly. Yeah, I think that for us, I, because we pride ourselves on being one of the, uh, as a staff, one of the best in the country as far as, as scouting and taking away um, other teams play. So when you play a team that's more read and react, you got to rely on more of your principles and, and the foundation that, that, that we put into our, our young ladies and following those principles instead of guarding plays. Because we do a great job of when teams try to run set plays against us, we can usually take those away. So now it's about relying on our principles and our foundations of defense. Well, overall, uh, knowing the Missouri scouting report and everything you just said, what are some of the keys to the game for you guys? What do you have to do well to counter what Missouri does well? I mean, I think the biggest thing is making sure we, we not let um, Haley Frank go off, understand this is, this is a rivalry game, um, and we don't want to have a bad performance in this kind of game. But just making sure we take care of the basketball, making sure we share it, make sure we knock down open shots, um, and and not giving them a lot of wide open threes. We the the basis of our defense is we try to take away threes and layups and free throws. So if we can have them playing inside the arc but not inside the paint, I think we're doing a great job. Overall, this is obviously a you know beyond being a big game because it's the postseason and and trying to stay alive and everything. But uh, when you have the the rivalry element of it being against Missouri, that always adds intrigue as well. Have you guys talked to, to to the girls about what this rivalry means? Does everybody kind of understand? I guess what does this mean to the team and, and to you guys as a staff? Oh yeah, we talked to them. I mean, and we um, for for, for uh, Brandon kind of get a, did a great introduction of, uh, of kind of the history of the rivalry and where they where it started from, and giving them an understanding that this didn't just start because of sports and basketball, but for bigger issues that were going on in our country. So trying to give the ladies, you know, that background and then kind of and why that transition to why there's a big rivalry in sports. So I think we've talked to them the last few days since we've been getting in preparation. Um, I gave them some words just from my experiences of playing in a rivalry. Um, We also, with our European kids, kind of connected it to some of the rivalries that they may have had playing against other countries that they play again when they're they're over in Europe and overseas. So once we 
kind of compared it to those things, everybody had a good understanding of what the rivalry means. Do you have a, a favorite, I don't know, memory from, from the KU-Missouri rivalry? <laughs> um, probably uh, beating them here on senior day was probably uh, uh, probably one of my favorites. My second would be my junior year was the first time in my career where we had beat them down there. My my freshman year, we we with Jock Vine and those guys, we got upset. My freshman and sophomore years, so I was able to finally beat them down at Hearns. Um, my junior year, and then my senior year here, having the chance to, to uh, beat them on our home court, and it was on senior day, and I got to start uh, with Nick and Kirk. So that was pretty awesome. Well, Coach, I, I appreciate the time and and good luck tonight. Uh, certainly, going to have a lot of attention with with the rivalry and uh, being in Lawrence, so everybody can go out to the game. I'm sure that would be helpful for you guys as well with a nice home court advantage. But uh, good luck tonight. Thanks a lot. Rock out. That was Terry Nooner, associate head coach for the KU women's basketball team. They take on the Missouri Tigers tonight in the second round of the WNIT. It's actually a 64-team bracket this year in the WNIT as opposed to the normal 32. Um, So that means this is the round of 32 for the women's team in that and uh, trying to make it to the, I I don't know, they they don't obviously call it the Sweet 16 for the WNIT for naming rights purposes, but uh, trying to get on there. If they win tonight, they'd be playing somewhere between Wednesday and Friday. I also don't know if they would be at home or or on the road of that one, but you can go on out to Allen Fieldhouse for tonight's game against Missouri at 6.30. If you want to listen to the game here on KLWN, you can tune in with pregame starting at 6.15. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. One hour down, two to go. We got Case of the Mondays, some NCAA tournament recap, more KU basketball, plenty more to get to you. They are coming up later through on the show. We'll be back after this time out. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a Case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How much does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 4 o'clock hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Is that time for your case of the Mondays? I'm having a case. Are you having a case of the Mondays? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, yeah. most people listening to the you show, not, you're how, probably how you, having, yeah. How are you not having a case of the Mondays? It's less work-related. It's more, and honestly, like, shows like today, I, I have fun with every show, but Absolutely, also, like, of course. shows like today, you do a little bit dread them coming in because you know you're going to be talking about something that just sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but, it is. you know, we're here to cheer you up. And on one hand, it's it's almost makes it worse because... Do I cheer you up, Derek? Sometimes. What? Sometimes. What do you mean sometimes? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Sometimes. Wow. Wow. We're, we're all humans. Do we all cheer each other up every single time? And with that, cue the music. Teams who lost in the NCAA tournament obviously suffer in the case of the Mondays, just like Kansas. But <laughs> I think it's some of them much worse than others. Though. Yes, yes. Because here's the thing: I will say this: if you're Kansas, at least you didn't lose like Purdue did, right? Yes. yes. 
Arizona loses to Princeton, a 15 seed. Virginia loses to Furman, a 13 seed. But that one more about, like, Furman's a pretty good team. Furman's that one's good, more yeah. about how it happened. Yeah. And then you have Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. I would say, without a doubt, those three teams are feeling the worst. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, just ask the whiteboard in the Purdue locker room after the game <laughs> how, how bad Purdue Who do you think punched that, by the way? That's got to well, be. Well, like, I think it was Edie. He's, I mean, he'd be the easiest because one. Because I think to, there was a report that, like, he had, like, a cut on his arm. After the game, and it okay, was like, okay, it's because he was the one. Well, it's, it but sucks also, I for mean, Zach dude, Eady, to be You honest. see the size of the hole? It was like bigger than my head. I know, which would make sense. It was Zach Eady. Like, dude, would I? I was thinking about this. Like, if Zach Eady punched me as hard as he could in the face, would I die? Would I be mm. dead? Yes. You think so? Yeah. Have you ever seen those? You know the like slap league where they like slap yeah. each other? Yeah. And some of those people get like knocked out, concussions. Yes. But now he's punching you and he yes. is way bigger than yes, yeah. Yes. I, I think mean, your his face his is fist getting, is the size of my head. It's like the mountain in Game of Thrones is just gonna like smash your face in. Um I I feel bad, honestly, for Zach Eady because like he played a pretty good game. I mean, it wasn't like a great game. They didn't get him the ball. Exactly. He had one shot in the final twelve I minutes. Mean, they didn't give him the ball. You're playing that's the on, shortest that's team. That's on your head coach. There, one of their guards had like seven turnovers. It's like you're playing the shortest team in the world and you can't get the ball to the guy who's seven four against who's being guarded <laughs> by a six six guy. And yeah, yeah dude, Purdue, that that's so bad for yeah, them. Yeah, that's, that's on that's Matt so Payne. bad. That's on Matt Payne. And now, like I don't well, know. Listen, Purdue wasn't projected to be that good. No, they in weren't the preseason. They weren't. And it turns out that they weren't that good. It was just one guy. Yes. It was one guy who was impossible. To Is he going to yep. come back? Or is he going to go pro? I don't think I've seen him on any mock drafts. And if either. he went pro, where would he go? I mean, what does he do besides being 7'4"? But also, like, I can't imagine Purdue is like an NIL hotbed, you know? They, they might be. I don't know. Yeah. Use some of that money from all their astronauts that go to space. Yeah, all of their electrical engineers. Mm -hmm. It's like, we, we can't pay any NIL money, but here's... Uh, Maybe they send him to space. Here's Buzz Aldrin's former space Wait, suit. don't you know when you go to space, you get taller? <laughs> That's so not, he goes is that to, true? Yes! Like, stretch look you out up. or something? Yes, look it Does up. it keep you taller, though, or are you just taller when you're in space? No, you, like, come back taller. It's a thing. Really? I swear. Just so, like, sending him up seven and down? four. You send him up. He comes back 7'6". He's even better. Yeah, He's perfect. Yeah, now you definitely point. can't stop him. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that sucks. The Arizona, honestly, Arizona got off a little scot-free. Yeah, absolutely. A, because of Purdue. Like, the Purdue one became, we've seen 15s beat the twos. It doesn't happen all the time, although it is becoming a trend. This is now three straight years. Um, but it's happened, I think that's the 11th time it's happened, versus the the 116, it's just the second time. And the, the FDU one was even crazier because of, you know, this. it's it's not just like some weird 16. I don't know. We'll get into that later. All right, you, um, you ready for some science? Yeah. The human body can grow up to 3% in space. Wow. So what's 3% of 7-2? Or 7-4? I thought he was like 7-4. Oh, he's 7-4. Sorry, 7-4. Well, I mean, so you have How to figure out the amount of that? inches. Yeah, so that'd be, what, 88 inches? So you're probably looking I'm, at, I'm like, he could grow, like, out. 3 inches? 2, 3 inches? Yeah, that's... 2.64 inches. That's pretty notable. They should send Kyler Murray up there, That would make him 7-7. Almost 7-7. Seven, seven. If they send Marquise Noel up there, he's all of a sudden like a first-round pick. Um, okay. But, yeah, they got off also scot-free because Princeton made the Sweet 16. You know, because yes, then, then it becomes less about yeah. like, wow, yeah. I can't believe you lost to that team. And it's more about, holy yes. cow, Same how about with this Saint team, Peter's. right? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, St. Peter's made this deep run, and it, that, nobody even remembers that they beat Kentucky. No. Um, 
The Furman Virginia one was wild. Uh, yeah. But yeah, those teams have to feel the worst. Also, Blue Bloods, I think, are feeling the case of the Mondays. Duke, because no Blue Bloods. AU, no Blue Bloods Kentucky. are left. Do you count Michigan State? Well, you got UCLA. State. No, I don't. You I guess, UCLA. yeah. So it depends. Some people. You don't count Michigan pe- State? Uh, No, I, do, I definitely Dude, don't count Michigan also, State. Also, case of Mondays for me, because this is terrible, because the. The stupid BS narrative that Tom Izzo is a great coach gets spun up again because he's making a deep run of the tournament. That's so what stupid. He does. No. That's what he does. Stupid. No, I, I think that a lot of people, I, I think everybody agrees, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, those are the blue bloods. A lot of people throw UCLA, which I'm fine with. They have yeah. the most titles, right? I, yeah. I do think... You have to realize that, yeah, well, it was a lot different then. And, you, and didn't you know, in order to be a blue blood, you have to have tradition, which certainly UCLA you do. has tradition. It hurts, though, that they have won one title since, like what, 1970? 19, even 1980s, I guess, right? <laughs> but they've been, uh, you know, several Final Fours since then. They're really good again now. Like, I'm fine if you want to put them up there. Um, so, I guess they would be the one. Even some people I know would consider Indiana. I don't, but some people would. They didn't make it either. No. Bad weekend for the Blue Bloods. And then North Carolina uh-huh. just sitting at home, not even not even yeah, playing in the just, NIT. Just on their couch. Bunch of cowards. On their couch doing nothing. Uh, wedgies. Dude, how many balls got stuck in between the backboard and the rim during the first weekend? I think it was like Wait, five. So, there was two in one game. Okay, so, so take me through this because you were explaining to me that the ball is different now. Well, okay, I don't. I didn't do enough research on okay. it, so I don't know if I should be speaking authoritatively on it. But yeah, I think I've or I've heard supposedly that uh, they're using some sort of different type of basketball from what they were using in the regular season. Oh, I think they did this last year too. Yeah, last really year was what, the first year they started doing. It. I don't really know it's what this makes different, it different. Brighter the Wilson Evo next game ball. Yeah, I don't really know a hundred percent. Like I said, I I, I this, that's on me. Hand in the air, that's on me. I didn't do enough research ahead of time. I've just heard or I just saw that there was people saying they're using a different ball. Yeah. But I don't know why why would that affect the number of times it gets stuck in between the rim and the backboard? Well, I think it's more about just like you have to well, shoot it, it in a, a very bad spot. It happened on a free there. throw. Did you see that? No. It sat on the rim. I don't remember what game it was. He shot. It bounced I on the back of the rim. I think the rim. Mondays for just, rims. It just sat there. It what just if they sat made, on the rim. What if they made the? What if they changed the rims and they didn't tell us? How does us? that even happen? You know, they made a bigger surface area. Iowa State should sit, come up with something with that, about that. That was the Played worst. The yeah. Well, again, we'll we'll get to our our tournament first weekend <laughs> recap here in our next segments. Um, that's crazy though, because usually that's something that like it might happen like once in a season for a team. Yes. Happened that many times in the first weekend. Yes, five times, twice in one game, twice in the Orchid Illinois game. True TV is uh, <laughs> having a case of the Mondays because what, it's, I, it's worth is basically I would, concluded. I would love to see a graph of True TV's like viewership over the course of a year. What do you think it looks like? Nothing, nothing, nothing. March, nothing, nothing, nothing. Or, or, I think or do you think I think it's you a think slow like ride. March and then people like still they see some commercials. They're like, yeah. oh, you know, Impractical Jokers. That's kind of funny. So yeah, they watch in April and then the slow cycle. Back to nothing. And then by the time you get to like the summer, it's just gone. Do you remember when they first added True TV to the lineup and people didn't know where it was? Yeah, or what channel it was? Yeah, and that's why they started putting the first four there so that the people would just be like, oh, okay, now I figured it out, and they have those <laughs> games and everything. But now I don't, I don't think they have any of the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eights. So no, I don't think they do either. Case of the Mondays for Lamar Jackson. This breaking news just happened a minute ago. Okay. Field Yates of ESPN. Lamar Jackson has been waived. By the Ravens? 
Nope, that would be the Broncos' Lamar Jackson, defensive back. Same oh, name. dude. I get you there? You, you kind of got me. You're like, wow, that's interesting. Did you see what Schefter did? No. He, uh, like, before the, before the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, he made a tweet that was like, oh, yeah, and the Packers have made their trade. And it was like for some seventh round draft pick or something. He knew what he was doing. Oh, of course. Did. Of course. Orlando Brown's agent got to have it a case on Mondays, right? He Probably, signed, yeah. this was on like Wednesday night, I think. Yeah. A four-year, $64 million deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. Dude, this this whole thing was just a circus, man. Yeah, I need I even... remind you, the offer from the Chiefs at the uh, end of the offseason last year, six years, $139 million. Well, it's even better. That looks great for the Chiefs. They didn't sign it. I mean, geez, man. I Yeah, it's just a just a clown show. Guy, He goes on uh, ESPN. He goes on NFL, NFL Live. Live like, dude, like, whatever, man. Like, okay, go be the go go play for the Bengals and be the third best team in the AFC. Good job. You're never going to win a Super Bowl with the Bengals. Sorry. Like, dude, what are we, I mean, dude, what are we, what are we doing? Because, yeah, like, that- if you cared about winning, why wouldn't you just re-sign with the Chiefs for 464? What, I don't, what are we doing? I think you've used this as I'm sticking it to the Chiefs. For what? Why are, you're the one that didn't sign the, the deal last year. Oh, yeah, really sticking it to the Chiefs. Urgh, really, I'm really getting them. What? 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 Well, the Chiefs did add someone, though, over the week. How about Drew Tranquil? Former uh, L.A. Charger, linebacker, good blitzer. I'm sure Spags will like that. Yeah. But, unfortunately, the Chiefs' vetting process is on Case of the Mondays because <laughs> Drew Tranquil tweeted this, February 12th, 9.13 p.m. Man, that's tough. No way you can call defensive holding there in such a critical point of the game. Uh, is he referring to the Super Bowl? Yes, he is. Is he referring to the James Bradbury hold? Yes, he is. Yikes. I mean, he's got to okay. get indoctrinated. They should right? have said, hey, before you sign, you got to delete, delete the tweet. that. Yeah. <laughs> delete the tweet before you sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, I looked at the replies to it. There were some hilarious replies where it was like, now that you have some new a new pair of glasses... Do you view the call differently? <laughs> now that you, yeah. now that you have, uh, you know, opened more your eyes. Yeah, now that you have some time to think about it and open your eyes a little bit, what do you think of the call? Like, oh, it's the right call. Oh, it's a good call. Yeah. It's a good call. Yeah, I like that signing though for the Chiefs. Uh, they should have pretty good linebacking core. Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, yeah, tranquil. Yeah, you feel pretty good about it. There, there's still some other holes on the Chiefs' defense that will be on the defensive line mm-hmm. that uh, I'm curious to see how the Chiefs do, but. I mean, at this point of the season, or this point of the offseason, I guess I should say, I should say, Brett Veach has earned beyond the reasonable doubt of just trust the process. Yeah, I guess I don't I don't know how else to put it. Well, but that's, that's the best way to put it. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he he has earned that he has earned the right for me to sit here and say I trust Brett Veach to figure it out. Yeah. I'm just gonna leave it at that for now. Hundred percent. I don't know. All right, last one. Sticking with the Chiefs. Chiefs options in the receiver market they are drying up fast. Adam Thielen. Yeah is uh, going to Carolina. That after Juju Smith-Schuster is going to the Patriots. Brandon Cooks got traded to Dallas. Even some of like the low-tier guys are signing. Zach Paschal signed today. Trent Sherfield got traded, I think, or was signed. One of the two. So it's like, it's like you know, in your head you're like, okay, Juju Smith signs. Oh, but we could still get Adam. Or Adam Thielen could still sign with the Chiefs. Then Adam Thielen goes and you're like, eh, okay, what do we do now? Well, then Zach Pascal gets signed. You're like, oh man, we could add Zach Pascal. Dang it! But yeah, it's 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 not looking good. I mean, they have they have they have tone, 
They have Sky Moore and they have MVS. And that's it right now. Definitely looks plus, like plus Kelsey they'll be drafting one. But I, I guess, yeah, it's it's pretty much going for OBJ. Yeah, who you tweeted OBJ out. OBJ or Hopkins floating yeah. around out Did there. you see OBJ's tweet over the weekend? I did. Where hey. he was like, I'm worth more than $4 million. Yeah. I'm OBJ. Well, he, he basically he was like, I'm not saying I want $20 million, but I definitely want more than 4 Now, he didn't say what team it was, but are I think you we convinced? can kind of assume. Yeah, are you, are you a believer that it was Brett Beach? Yes. So I'm Brett guessing- Beach dials up OBJ and says, Odell. Four million, yes or no? No, because what the Chiefs like to do, what Veach likes to do, and I think this would happen, is it's a four million dollar base salary, and then they're like, you you can have incentives to work it up to like ten million. You know, could be. Could uh, be. but yeah, I feel like it'll be one of those two guys at this point, or they're going to be drafting someone high, or maybe both. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it would be it would be cool because listen, Travis Kelsey is in the back half of his career, right? I mean, that's that's not like breaking news. Mm-hmm. You know, he, for for a tight end, he's 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 in the later part of his prime. So you'd like to get a guy, a Travis Kelsey esque, you know, Robin to Mahomes' Batman for an extended amount of time. And if you draft a guy, you've got him locked up for at least four years, right? So Sky Moore maybe, but what if you drafted someone like Quentin Johnson? Then you have a six foot four guy that mm-hmm. you're just with Mahomes. Love the ball up with Mahomes. Yes. So, I don't know. We'll see. They have other needs, though. They have other needs. That is our case of the Mondays. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Let's uh, break down what happened in the first week across the entire NCAA tournament coming up next. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. We're going to get to our college basketball NCAA tournament reactions and recap everything that happened in the uh, first weekend of play here in just a second. Guys, it is all about confidence, though. Confidence knowing that you're going to be ready to go when your partner is. Confidence knowing you're going to be able to go a few extra rounds when needed. Confidence is what you get with the chewables from BlueChew.com. BlueChew's tablets are a performance enhancement for the bedroom and can help men gain extra confidence when it is time to perform. It's an online prescription service, so you don't need any doctor's visits, no awkward conversations. You don't have to wait in the line at the pharmacy. You don't have to hear your name called out at the pharmacy and everybody knows what you're getting. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. All you got to do is sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of the licensed medical providers. Once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And because it's all done online, you can easily do it while you're watching some of the March Madness games or just kind of, you know, hanging out, just doing whatever you're doing, watching TV. Boom, you do it on your phone or computer online, and you got it all together. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com. And here's a special deal just for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code RCST at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code RCST to receive your first month free. So NCAA tournament, first weekend recap, we'll we'll do the south and the east, which is the left side of the bracket, and then we'll get to the uh, Midwest and the west in the next segment. Uh, So starting with the south, we'll just go from kind of up to down here. Alabama kind of rolled through their path. I obviously have nothing to say on the 116 matchup. Um, (laughs) The 8-9 game was actually really good between Maryland and West Virginia. Yeah. And honestly, West Virginia kind of blew it. They probably should have won the game. Kedrian Johnson could not miss. I don't know if yeah. Kedrian Johnson has another year left of school, but I if he comes back next year, and I don't know, he might be graduating. 
I am fully convinced he's going to be like an all-Big 12 first-team player. He's really good. Really good on both ends of the floor. He filled it up. He had like 20-something points in that game. Just missed the runner three at the end. So you end up with Maryland-Alabama, which I, I think kind of stunk because I thought that West Virginia could have actually played a game with yes, Alabama. Yes, I agree, 100%. And instead, yeah. you got Alabama just crushing Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I had West Virginia winning because I thought West Virginia would have a chance to, to play against Bama and have a shot, but then they couldn't even beat Maryland. So... Yep. I guess they didn't deserve to be there. Well, that's that's you know sometimes what happens in the tournament. It's yeah. not always yeah. about. Um, yeah, no, dude. Po- people constantly it's matchups, look at, right? People constantly look ahead to like, oh, what about this matchup? Well, if you don't take care of business, then you're not going to be there anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um, like a lot of people thought Texas A&M could have beat Texas, but yes. hey, guess what? They didn't play in the game. Didn't even get there, yeah. Uh, San Diego State beats Charleston. That was kind of a ho hum game, um, and then they just beat down on Furman, which. So the Furman win over Virginia, that's another probably one. Probably like, the game, well, I mean, the I moment mean, if, of the tournament maybe? Yeah, probably. I guess besides FDU, but FDU didn't have like a moment. Yeah. This was a big shot. But see, like, th- this, that was another one where if Virginia wins that game, Virginia basically plays the same style as San Diego State. Like, maybe that's worst matchup for San Diego State, whereas Furman can't keep up with their athletes. But yeah, the, I, I think I agree with you. That's got to be the moment of the tournament, like the play, maybe is the yeah. way of putting it, yeah. of the tournament. Because Honestly, the first weekend... In terms of like no, last second no buzzer shots beaters, right? or like you know really tense like last second moments, there wasn't that many. Well, the last buzzer beater we had was the Jalen Suggs one, which that seems like forever ago in the Final Four. But I guess it makes sense if you think about it because technically, like the Furman one doesn't count as a buzzer beater. There's yeah, still a I couple know. seconds I mean, yeah, left, right? Or a second. I mean, left. it was still a great play though. But it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we didn't get any overtime games either. I think nope. I saw the the stat they were saying that each of the past two years there were four overtime games in the first weekend. We got none. Yeah, from from uh, this past weekend, so that was a little bit unfortunate. Certainly not like you said, a lot of like crazy hectic like, end of yeah, games. Like, literally, you're standing so up, leaning into the television, yep. like what's going to happen in this last ten seconds? Yeah, that was definitely one of them, though. It was a great game. Furman had a big comeback, and then I don't know what Kihei Clark was doing, just throwing the ball away. Like he had a timeout <laughs> too. He's a veteran player, uh, but that was a lot of fun. You have Kevin Harlan on the call too. Like yeah. it just made yep. it better. But San Diego State kind of ho hums their way through to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, they they looked pretty impressive doing both, and they actually were the one Mountain West team who's actually got something done. Yeah, and that's sad because we've had we had Graham Dorn on the show quite a bit, and he talked about the Mountain West like the Mountain West. You know, watch out; they could have you know three or four teams in. Well, they did. They just all sucked. <laughs> so good yeah. job, good job, Mountain West. And uh, I think now the Mountain West has four Sweet Sixteens all time. Now I do think BYU may. Maybe Utah, I, I don't know, at some point may have gone to Sweet 16s, but now they're no longer in the conference, so they no longer count that. Because I think it's what? three. I, yeah, I think it's three for they San Diego State. Wait, they don't get to count that? Well, I think the stat that people were bringing up is, okay. is what I'm pointing out. Like the, the ones that are currently in the, Yeah, numbers. the ones that are currently, yeah. There's only four. Three of them are San Diego State, one's Nevada. So San Diego State is like the one school. And San Diego State might be going to like the Pac-12 soon, yeah. you know? Yeah. So they're about to be uh, pretty pretty desperate for basketball. Um, Creighton gets by NC State. That was just a fun game, I thought, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Traquavion Smith was awesome for NC State. He had that one yeah. hammer dunk. But Creighton looked really good. And Baylor, the first half, they were losing to UCSB. But then they, they played awesome in the second half. But the defense that we thought could come back to haunt them came back to haunt them. Yeah. And Creighton has defense because they have the, the rim protection of Kalkbrenner inside. And Creighton just looked really, really good. I think Creighton has a has a good chance to make the Final Four. I really do. Yeah, I, I mean, mean they're playing a 15 seed in the yeah, Sweet they've 16. They've got Princeton in the Sweet 16, and I think they have a real a real shot to take down Bama. Yeah, like they're, because, Creighton to me is a team that I don't people. I think more people are probably picking them now, but I think they're a team that can make a Final Four. Well, if you're playing Alabama 
a, a lot of people think of Alabama as being run and gun, just shoot a bunch of threes. And they are run and gun. They do shoot a bunch of threes. But their their main principle is to get shots at the rim, actually. It's to get dunks. It's to get layups. Yeah. And they spread you out and try to do that. Well, Creighton has the rim protection to try to slow you down, and they're actually comfortable playing up and down. That's always been like yeah, a great game. That's what the Baylor game was. Yeah. It was up and down. They were and totally and fine Creighton with it. Was, yeah, they were in the lead defense. most of the game. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what we thought Baylor would, would happen to them, that like the defense wouldn't hold up for them. Keontae yeah. George was cold. It's really all tournament. Exactly. Like if if it, any of the guards. Baylor kind of has a similar like situation. Pryor was really good. Flagler yeah. was good in the first game. But, well, yeah. Baylor's kind of the similar situation of Kansas where like if two of their three guards don't play well, they're probably not going to yeah. win. Right? And yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of similar to Kansas where like, you know, like we've talked about with Kansas where if, if only one or two of your starters play well, you're gonna have you're gonna struggle a little bit. Well, Baylor's kind of in the same boat just because they relied they relied all season long so heavily on those three guys that if one or two of them didn't show up in the tournament, they were gonna lose. And they did. I guess the one piece of solace for for KU is that Missouri lost. I mean, that could have been a well, horrible that sucks, Missouri. That could have been a horrible two hour because think about it. Yeah, that would have so, been so bad. The the Missouri game started about an hour after the, the KU game. Yes. So if Missouri goes to the Sweet Sixteen about an hour after KU loses to Arkansas, that would have been a pretty treacherous little portion of time. And they got housed by Princeton. Yes. Is Princeton, like, kind of good? I don't know. I'm really confused. I don't really know what I'm... Well, like, they didn't even... I didn't actually actually watch much of the Mizzou game because of the KU game. Right. Um, Like, Princeton, I don't even... They didn't even win, like, the Ivy League in the regular season. Now, this actually... uh, I saw... Wait. uh, Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. One Kenneth Pomeroy pointing this out on Twitter, that this was, like, the best league... Or or the best version of the Ivy League they've ever had in his metrics. Like, they were, like, the 11th best league. Wow. Uh, So, they actually had a really good year. And, like, I saw... The nerds. The nerds showing out. I guess so. Like, the... uh, I I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, but I I saw him play a lot over the weekend. Uh, The guy with the really crazy... Like, Evbumiwan or whatever... Um. That dude is like a legit athlete. That guy throws down some dunks. But what's crazy is like they're not a really good three-point shooting team, which is kind of what you would like almost profile them into. Because well, you just think all okay. Ivy League teams are like, oh, they're going to spread the floor <laughs> and shoot it well. But no, they're really good at shooting twos. Well, they're good on defense. They're they're the seventh best defensive rebounding team in the country. We talked about this off air a little bit, but this this year so far in the tournament, three-point shooting is down. Right, like yeah. collectively, like just on average, teams are not shooting the three ball very well, which that favors teams that in the regular season didn't shoot the three well. That's right? actually a really good point because it brings everybody down yes, in the muck. But if you're already it. not that good at three point shooting, yeah. then it's like it, it like levels the playing field almost. Arkansas is like, well, we're terrible at three point shooting. We don't care because everybody's <laughs> sucking at them. You know <laughs> exactly. what I mean? Exactly. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess look away from the teams that are good at shooting threes. That's very interesting. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Princeton-Missouri game was just kind of a housing. The Princeton-Arizona game, I still don't know how Arizona lost <laughs> when they had those two bigs. Princeton basically just said, hey, if your other big wants to shoot threes, we're going to let you, and they didn't take advantage of enough. As as much as it sucked for Kansas, you lose a 12-point lead with, like, 15 minutes to go. Missouri, or Arizona, Arizona was up 12 on a 15 seed with, like, 10 minutes to go, and yeah. they lost the game. So that was pretty remarkable, and now we've had three straight years where a 15 seed has made the Sweet 16. Yeah. That, I, I just don't even know what to do with that anymore. <laughs> like, did we start picking 15s in our bracket? Uh, but, yeah, they they were, they were pretty good. I don't expect them to beat Creighton, but I, no, I, I don't. said the same thing about uh, St. Yeah. Peter's last year. Yeah. I guess you never know. Yeah. Okay, on to the East. Fairly Dickinson, unbelievable, man. That sucks, Purdue. To go from Purdue, they are who we thought they were. A bad team with a 7-4 guy. 
Well, okay, think about this from, from Fairleigh Dickinson. Like, this is this is the most mark, remarkable upset in NCAA history. Yeah. Even though you had UMBC beat Virginia, this is more than that. And I guess you could say, well, yeah, but UMBC not only beat Virginia, they crushed Virginia. That's true. UMBC was a top 200 team in Ken Palm, which, you know, it's still a big mismatch. But, like, they had a, a legit dude on their team. Um, I'm trying to remember. the, the Jarius Lyles, I want to say, is the kid's name. Like, he got, a, I want to say, a shot to go pro. Um, like a 10-day contract or G League or something. Like, he was a really good player. They had some dudes on that team. They went bananas from three. With Fairleigh Dickinson, this is a team ranked around, like, 300 in the country in Ken Palm. Yes. They did not even win their conference. And when I say that, yes. that's not me just saying that they finished fourth in the regular season and then won their tournament. No, they, they didn't did win not the win the regular season or the tournament. Yes. They lost to Merrimack, but because of the NCAA rules, where Merrimack can't go because they're transitioning up from, like, D2 for a few years, they just got in by default. Yes. And then they had to go to the play-in game. They weren't even supposed to be in the tournament. No. And then they were underdogs by three and a half points in the play-in game. And they killed Texas Southern. And they were the shortest team in D1. Their center is like 6'7". Their average height was like 6'3". <laughs> and they played a 7'4 behemoth in Purdue, and they beat them. They they play. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think you can get any more literal than David versus Goliath. No. Literally. Yes. The FDU guards <laughs> dominated the Purdue guards. Like they were way better. Yes. That was wild. And to Purdue watch. just Purdue went into Purdue started panicking so early in the game. They started panicking. Oh, they were like so seven, tight. With like seven minutes left. Yep. They just totally abandoned any semblance of a game plan. They just started like their offense became shoot a three, miss, and hope Edie gets three bounds. That was their offense. What do you do if if you're Purdue with Matt Painter? Because this is this is now what what is it? The last three tournaments they've lost to a 16 seed, a 15 seed, and a 13 seed. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, okay, the 15 seed you lost, you lost in, in the, the Sweet 16. 16 yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, sure, fine, whatever. Mm -hmm. But also, you look at it, Virginia loses to UMBC. Yeah. They win the title. What the next year or two years after? I guess that's true. But also, like, I think in Matt Painter's case, he's made the second weekend twice. He's only made the Elite Eight once. It's not good. He's never made the Final Four. I don't envy that position. Well, and I, I do agree. Like, I think sometimes we do overreact to tournament results as far as coaches go, but like either way, um, to where sometimes it is such a crapshoot to where if you keep giving yourself enough good shots, eventually it'll like uh, Bill Self gets all these ones and two seeds, but he had only won one title until last year. Eventually, you keep giving enough cracks, one is going to go your way, at least you would think, and you're going to have enough of those runs to come your way. Um, I I hesitate because Matt Painter is, is such a good regular season coach, but it's still not to that level where he's getting ones and two seeds every year. Yeah, well, um, and it's not like he's just winning the Big Ten every single year. No, he's not. So I, I don't really know what you do here. I, you definitely keep him. You hold on. But I do think there's something to be said about the style of play, and I think this goes for the Big Ten as a whole, which has really struggled in the tournament the last like, handful of years, of being so centered around a big man. It's okay if your big man is your best player. UConn, big man's your best player. Um I guess you could argue with Houston if Jairus Walker is their best player. Creighton? I don't know. Yeah, Creighton, Kalkbrenner is their best player. It's Probably. okay I if mean, your Simon's center is your good. best player. And they have a good right? point guard. Yeah, 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 of course. But the problem is, like, Drew Timmy and Gonzaga. Timmy, Timmy's their best player, yeah. But you can't just be about the center. If you are a team only based on the center, which I'm looking at, like, Purdue, Kentucky, like, teams like that, you're screwed in the NCAA tournament. And that is so many Big Ten teams yeah. that I mean, have like a really dude, good center and then it's like nobody else. Sheepway has averaged 21 and 20 in the tournament and he's lost. And he won and two. He's lost two games. Yeah. It really is about guards. It really is. So you can, having a good center helps. Having a good center can help you win a title. 
but that doesn't replace having the good guards. Yes. Whereas it's basically like having both is better than having good guards, which is better than having a good center. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's the little three-way train of all those three. Um, so that that was pretty crazy there. But I, I do think that, um, and we'll get to this later in the offseason, but like in the hypothetical world where down the road in two years, Bill Self retires, who do you look at? Maybe four or five years ago, Matt Painter wouldn't be like at the top of the list, but he would be on the short list of 10, 15 guys. Now there's like no way that happens unless they have like a deep run in the next year or two, which at this point you don't really expect. Uh, Florida Atlantic was probably, I mean, by that point, Purdue had already lost. So you knew that Memphis and Florida Atlantic were basically playing for the Sweet 16. You kind of assumed. Uh, oh, come on. FDU, FDU played them close. They did. But that game, that Florida Atlantic Memphis game, that was a game that, that had was late game. moments. That yeah. that was one of the few ones game. over the weekend. Yeah. Um. I I really thought the Memphis had a chance to make like a Final Four before the tournament, and I was like, oh. But then they ended up being the team that was the uh, conference tournament winner that bowed out early. Yeah. And they they kind of unraveled too. Yeah. They really did. You they know. kind of choked down the stretch. Yeah. Uh. Duke absolutely murdered Oral Roberts, who missed every open shot. Duke played really good defense too. That was horrendous. Uh. Uh, but then, when everybody got on the train of Duke is now going to be this unstoppable force, the one seed's out of it, like, they're winning the title, they're going to the Final Here Four, whatever comes it was. comes Rick Barnes. Yep, Rick Barnes, who is not known for doing super well in the tournament and consistently loses in the second round, and they barely got by Louisiana. Like, they almost choked that game away. But guess what that Tennessee team does as good as any team in the country? They ugly it up, they play defense. And again, when the three-point shooting is down, that Boom. helps. Yeah, it does. I, I kind of feel like the way you beat Tennessee, you have to, like, out-skill them, right? You have to, like, precision cut them. You have to finesse them. You have sure. to hit shots, right? Yeah. Duke is— you, Not you, that. Yeah, exactly. You need, like, a team who's good at running, like, a a team-defined offense, like a motion offense or something. And Duke is just more of a collection of talent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was always a bad matchup for them. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how far Tennessee goes, still without their So does this guard. mean that Rick Barnes finally doesn't suck in March? Guess or does he does he need to win another game? Does he need? I don't to, know, man. If he loses to a nine seed Florida Atlantic with the bracket wide open for him, I don't he think still it, sucks. I don't think he sucks, but I don't think it corrects anything. So it he still, so he still sucks then. I guess yeah, because because we agree that he sucks now. Okay, that's fair. So if he doesn't improve right, right, upon that, then it. he sucks. I'm with it. All right, right, you got me on board. <laughs> um, and then Michigan State upsetting Marquette. Tom Izzo train has arrived. Bad. That's so bad for me. Kansas State-Kentucky game was actually a really good game. Uh, Marquise Noel might be the best player in that region, and he is one of the best players in the tournament. No he comment. is very good. No comment. Very, very good. And now the, the path for K-State to make the Final Four is wide open. Also, no Heck, comment. Heck, they could even, I mean, if Creighton like got by Alabama, no, could K-State no, be stop, playing in a title stop, game? No, stop, stop, stop. Okay. Stop. Just bringing it up. Stop. If you want to talk about that next week, fine. Okay. I will bring up, though, uh, by the way, Tom Izzo, now that they're making, like, it feels like he every four yep, years is due for one of his runs. He's got a low seed, and then he goes deep in the tournament. People think he's a good coach. Well, okay, think about this. Every time that Tom Izzo has made a Final Four, I actually looked this up because I was starting to think back. I was like, every time they make a run, Kansas bows out early. Kansas lost in the first weekend. I looked every single one of Tom Izzo's Final Fours at Michigan State. Kansas has lost in the Sweet 16 or sooner. And in six of his eight Final Fours, they've lost in the sec in the uh, first weekend. 
uh, but I guess I guess I'm just I don't, a bit there's no correlation. What, yeah, I, I don't understand. There's none. The, <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> the, the trend is there. The trend has happened for them. They upset their two seed. The bracket's open. But Kansas like, lost. This is what happens. It's a correlation, them. but also it's random. No, yeah. So there's like, no, there's no correlation. No correlation. I'm just saying it is a trend, even though there's no no specific. But, like, is it a trend if it doesn't if it's random? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how the, those words work. Um, oh, come on. I will say a, a lot of people have talked about how wide open this year is, and uh, we mentioned 2014 was a wide open year. And remember in 2014, it was the bottom right bracket that was the insanely hard one. You had a one seed, Wichita State, who was undefeated. Your eight seed was a, a talented was team in Kentucky that best, was athletic. The most talented team in the country. But they were undefeated. 12 games. Exactly. Your four seed that year was Louisville, who's the number one team in Ken Palm. Four seed this year's UConn, who's not number one, but they're darn near it. And that bracket was just loaded over there. The one seed was upset by the eight seed, which happened this year in the bottom right. UConn went far in that tournament. UConn's going far this year. And you know what team won the title that year? It was a team who has tournament success and was the seven seed in the bottom left bracket, Michigan State. History repeats itself? We'll huh. find out. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to our uh, Midwest and West thoughts. Next, this is RCS. Welcome back into RCST here on KLWN. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Moving on to our reactions to the Midwest and the West region. Houston did not look very good uh, in the first weekend. They they okay. really toyed around with Northern Kentucky. I got some pushback on this from a couple of friends I was talking to. Mm-hmm. I said, if Houston played Howard instead of Northern Kentucky, Howard would have won. I... Don't Agreed, hate disagree. it. Um, Houston was terrible. Yeah, if, they were. If they played a team with a pulse, they would have lost. Well, the, the only question to me is that it's it's easy to see how much they they struggled. Like, okay, Northern Kentucky is 115th in the country on defense. Howard is 218th. So it's also possible that Northern Kentucky made them look worse because their defense did more than Howard could have. But That's yeah, fine. I mean, I I will but say, looking, at, looking strictly at Houston, they were terrible. They played they were. horrible. And you kind of think that if they're playing, because they only be it was sixty three to fifty two, but that was like a I, I forget what the score. It was I mean, like within it was like a one or two possession game, game with like three yes. four minutes left, yes. right? Yes. And Northern Kentucky went. Oh my god! They went like four of thirty eight from three. Five of thirty three from three. <laughs> uh, so if they you just went four of hundred from three. If you just base it on they that, went Howard four was, for seven thousand from three. Howard was a good three point shooting team. They hit ten of them against Kansas. They were one of the best in the country. So if you give them. Even 10 of 33, which I think they went 10 of 31 against Kansas. But if you give them 10 of 33, they might win that game. So I don't, I don't think it's crazy. I probably would say no, but I don't think it's that crazy of a con. I really don't. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, they were down 10 to Auburn at halftime, which, yeah. first of all, that does kind of suck for Houston. They were playing in Birmingham, Alabama in the second round against a nine seed. I thought it was hilarious. Well, they almost lost, but they showed their, I think, will to win in that second half. Yeah. No, I mean, they're fine now. Yeah. They're fine. They're I, I be, kind of agree with that. They're going to make the Elite Eight or Final Four. Probably. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. The the big test for me is the Texas game. I, I really think that yeah, assuming, the winner of that could win the title. Texas beat Xavier. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Xavier's no slouch. I, I Xavier's is, Xavier this year is the team that everyone has been not talking about at all. But they're good. In the Sweet 16. Their offense is really good. Um, I will say, though, Xavier should have lost to Kennesaw State. Probably, yeah. I mean, they're down 13 with like eight minutes left. Kennesaw State like missed everything from there. Kennesaw State yep. kind of messed up at the end of the game too. Yep. Um and then Xavier just was better than Pitt because the I, I thought that 
the bracket Pitt, kind of Pitt broke open bad. for them. Pitt is bad. Well, Pitt, I don't even think the only Pitt reason they won Iowa is because State, Iowa State, State just yes. didn't try. Yes. Did you see that uh, apparently I mean, in, in pregame warm-ups? five me's could have beaten Iowa State on, on that, that day, yeah. I think at one point they were like two of 25 in the second. I have yes. never seen a team shoot that bad. I'm not joking. That is the worst right, offensive performance I've ever seen. Are you a believer in the rim conspiracy? So, yeah, okay. So, so in pregame warm-ups, yes. they, they, they claimed the, that the, the rims rim were like, tilted yes. Or not so they level. had somebody come out and fix it. So then after they came out and fixed it. But th- this is where I blame Iowa State. They, after, yeah, they didn't, they didn't accept. They the asked, NCAA they said, do you claimed, want more time to warm up? Well, the NCAA claimed okay. they did that. So I, I feel like Iowa State would have came out and said that's not true. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Why, well, why else would you decline extra warm-up time? Because they were like, ah, oh, we're good. We're the sixth seed. We're going to no. lose defense anyway. They're already not they a good probably shooting like, team. Oh, both teams got to go on the same basket. I no. don't know. That was an incredibly stupid oh, decision. Oh, that's a good point. They should have said, hey, we'll do that, but make them, make them play on this basket. Well, they did eventually. Well, but not maybe not in the first half. Yeah. No, that, dude, that, that, I'm not joking. That was, A, the worst NCAA tournament <laughs> game I've ever watched. Because, A, it was, like, normally if you have an ugly game, at least sometimes it's close. This wasn't close. It was 59-41. It was ugly. It was Iowa State, two. Iowa State shot um, 30% on two-point shots, 9% on three-point shots, 58% on free throws. Dude, this is the worst offensive <laughs> game ever. <laughs> But I did think that Iowa State could have actually beat the, Xavier if they got through because matchup-wise, Xavier doesn't play defense. They could have stifled them. Do you think them. the 1919 Topeka YMCA team could yeah. have beaten Iowa State that By day? By 10. Easy. <laughs> so Xavier ends up getting through. That'll be a fun game with them in Texas because Xavier yeah. does get up and down, and we know yeah. Texas has the athletes. Penn State ended up beating AM. They killed them. That Penn yeah. State team was really good. It's a shame they didn't make a second weekend because they battled with Texas. Because that was a yeah. really good team. They shot threes yeah. well. They kind of play the the booty ball with the the guards posting up inside. Yeah. They have they have the great score mm-hmm. that you need if you're a lower seed to make a deep run. Yeah, and then that that the five twelve and the four thirteen in that region were both they trendy were upset kinda, picks. And they were just kind of the Drake one. They should have won. They were up. <laughs> what was it? It was fifty five to forty nine. You're 49. just mad because you picked Drake. I and am, you, and you thought they were going to win. But okay, dude, they were fifty. They were up fifty five to forty nine with three minutes left. And they lost by like six. <laughs> How does that happen? The Tucker DeVries kid who uh he was like the Missouri Valley De- player is it of the year. DeVries or DeVries? DeVries, whatever it is. Okay. I don't know. Um it should be DeVries because that's where he's gonna be next year. No, I'm just joking. That was mean. That was mean. Uh that comes from a place of hurt. Uh he was the Missouri Valley player of the year. Objectively a very good player. He went one of twelve. Yeah. That doesn't help. Yeah. And then Miami gets by Indiana. I don't really have much to say there other than I am just shocked at how Miami keeps bucking the trend of being bad defensively, really good offensively, and making it through when, like, these other teams can't, like a Baylor. Okay, the one positive to Jim Boeheim retiring is mm-hmm. when I was a kid, when I was younger, and, like, even in, even until, like, the last couple of years, I would always get Jim Boeheim and Jim Laranega mixed up. They're both named Jim. They both coach for an orange school, okay. and they're both really old. So I would just constantly get those guys mixed up. Well, that's fair. Um, so moving on to the Midwest, we don't need to talk more Kansas, Arkansas, because we'll do more of that at five. We already talked about that earlier. Dang. Um, St. Mary's and UConn, but UConn was scared a little with Iona. They're down at half. Yeah. The last three halves of basketball we saw from UConn were really. Does that good. make you nervous that they peaked too early in the tournament? Now they're going to. It's have definitely a possible. So every year. I have a theory that there's always one team that like blows out both teams they play in the first round and then they lose. And like last year was Gonzaga. 
No, wait, no, they were close to Memphis. Like it wouldn't have been Gonzaga. I don't know somebody else. Um, okay. The one that always comes to mind for me is uh, Ohio State in twenty. Was it twenty thirteen? No, twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Ohio State was the number one overall seed, and they absolutely murdered the first two opponents that they played in the NCAA tournament that year. Okay. And it was like, oh, they're the best team, and you know they're the number one overall seed, and and now they just destroyed both these teams. They beat uh, UTSA that year by twenty nine. Then they beat George Mason by thirty two. And George Mason that <laughs> year, you might be saying, oh, is that a big win? I mean, they were the eight or nine seed, and they were ranked twenty fourth on Ken Palm. They beat them wow. by thirty two. Wow. So they're going into the Sweet Sixteen, and it's like this team can't be stopped. And then they lose to Kentucky, and it feels like that happens with one team every year. Um, Could it be UConn, Duke? The year they were trying to repeat and like. Oh gosh, that might have been 2011 as well. Kind of happened to them with the Arizona loss. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening. Well, St. Mary's stinks. I I think UConn's going to beat Arkansas though. I mean, St. Mary's is bad. They are just they didn't look not super good. good at all. I was disappointed. Gonzaga got by TCU. I really do think with Eddie Lampkin they win that game, but Gonzaga's offense is too much. And then uh, UCLA was able able to overcome the, so the injury you, stuff. Now you have the real test of the injury stuff with UCLA. Yeah. Because to this point, it hadn't really mattered. Like, there's seven ten draw. Like, I would have, if I, you know, if I don't you're know. Kansas, yeah, like, did North, does Northwestern scare you at all? That's the thing. I would have rather played Northwestern in the second round than Arkansas. Probably. Northwestern's yeah. a better seed, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we've known all along that Arkansas, based on their talent, was under. Yeah, had a high I mean, ceiling. They were the mm-hmm. preseason SEC favorite. Like, they're a, they're a, a good team. No, they have two first-round picks on their team yeah. and a bunch of other talented freshmen and, and yeah. newcomers and experienced guys like Ricky Council. So, Yeah. Um, but I think overall, like you said, a little disappointing with the uh, lack of maybe buzzer beaters overtime games, but there were yeah. still a lot of fun games over yeah. the week. Yeah, and obviously, I think with FDU and Princeton winning, like, I don't think you can be mad about the first weekend. Like, no. It was still, you had some great upsets, even if there wasn't as many buzzer beaters or overtime games, like, you only had two 16 seeds whenever. Yep. So it's it, you, that's that automatically makes it a good weekend. Yep. Are you looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. This is RCST. Two hours down, one to go. We'll be back after this time out on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, recapping once again in the first weekend of action for uh, KU basketball. Uh, I said I wanted to do this after KU games moving forward, so uh, we'll do it, I guess, for this, even though What's it's that? mostly negative. Biggest positive and biggest negative oh. from uh, over the weekend. Do you want to start with the negatives or the positives? You know, I've decided. Let's get the negatives out of the way. Okay. I mean, number one, the loss. The season is over. Yeah, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big negative, I would say. That's a pretty large negative. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just like a regular season where it's like, well, you lost. Of course, that's a negative. It's like, no, your season is literally over. You will not be playing anymore. Like I said at the top of the show, you know, there's 363 teams in Division One. Yeah. 68 teams make the NCAA tournament. Hey, save it for the positive, man. 67 of those teams end their season with a loss. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it sucks, but so what you're saying is losing is okay because everybody does it. I mean, so we should we should not strive to win. Well, it's no because it's more cool to be with your friends. No. Oh, okay. No. I was, I was do just do you sure. consider the other teams that lost your friends? <laughs> I guess so. No. In the pit of despair. No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that was obviously the biggest negative. Uh, obviously, duh. Um. I think. 
any time in, in college sports, what makes things like to me, college sports become more of an emotional attachment than professional sports yes. because of the fact that it really is a, a, I don't know, growing up type of experience for yeah. one, but also it is the, well, the, you and, have to say goodbye. You have to say yeah, goodbye. Well, it's and, not the know, NBA where it's like, hey, if you have a franchise player, he's okay. Well, he'll be back for another, you know, ten more years. It's like, no, he's he's gone. And and I think that's the case of anytime you have any players leave. But I think it's especially true when you have a, a like KU legend on your team who you've been through so many things with, and you have especially seen win a title, which was the case for Jalen Wilson. Yeah, and I do think there's something to be said about the emotional attachment in college, where you have NIL now, but it's not purely financial right it's not like oh you know this guy signed a big contract for my team that's the only reason why he's playing for my team it's mm -hmm. like these guys are committed to this program for what you know whatever reason they, they came to the program yeah. and yeah you have an al now that helps them make money but it's but you know what i mean it's not the same as in professional sports yeah you, you go into guys. every season into every player's career knowing there's an expiration date and it's coming within three or four years which really yeah. isn't that long no. when you compare it to again like professional sports where you could have a guy for 10, yeah, 15, I mean, like, 20 like, years. Like Mahomes is going to be the Chiefs quarterback for the next 12 years, right. at least, if not more. It's just, it's different. It really is. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that Jalen, I mean, he's going to go down as, as one of the, it's going to be one of the best individual seasons in KU. I mean, first team yeah. All Americans or, or under Bill so Self. He was, I so he's say. now the third player under Bill Self to average 20 points a game. Yeah. Season. So you're there, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, now, what separates some of those other guys, like maybe what Wayne Simeon or Frank Mason did, is the efficiency was better. But yeah, he. I mean, the pure stats alone, the first team All American status, he has but a national was, title in his was, career. This was Jalen's team. Of course it was. There were other, other, other players have come through KU and had great yeah. careers, but. Was there ever a year where it was like, this is your team? No, and, and maybe uh, they helped start a new streak. They have two straight Big 12 titles now because of Jalen, right? Yeah. Um, got a one seed and everything. I I, I tweeted this out uh, over the weekend. There are three players under Bill Self that have won a title and have been first-team unanimous All-American. That's it. Ochag Baji, Sharon Collins, Jalen Wilson. Now, Ochai's the only one to do both in the same season, of that list, which makes what he did last year even more remarkable. But that's a very short list to be on. And I know that's not the be-all, end-all if you're deciding who's the best player in the Bill Self era, who are you picking your team. Like, for my money, I'm still taking, like, if we're talking legacy rankings, Frank Mason over Jalen Wilson. But he's on that short list. He's on that. If yeah. you put together, like, a you know, a, a team, he's on that short list of players in, in Bill Self's time. He uh, had a phenomenal career. And it's unfortunate to see him go out that way and – um, you always heard Bill Self talking about how much of a winner he was and yeah. how much he cared about winning and, and being a good teammate and all those little things, and that he was a good leader for this team and um, that he always handled responsibility well and you know that he, he was accountable for his actions, good or bad, in every single way. And I think one of the, the most fun traits of KU players that endears themselves to fans is when they show that passion, when they show that emotion on the floor. And so, like, you think back to some players. They're, they're, everybody has your your player, you know, Christian Brown, just last year, who he showed it in a bit of, like, an angry way, but he showed it, right? He cared so much, and he showed that passion physically. And it doesn't mean yeah. that the guys who don't show it don't care. They, they do. It's just that's that's the type of guy that, that pumps you up, right? Um, Devontae Graham would show that emotion on his sleeve. Yeah. Thomas Robinson, man, he would get you know all pumped up and everything. Jalen Wilson is on that list. He gets an and one. He makes a big play. He's screaming to the crowd. He's flexing. He's he's waving the crowd to make noise. Like Those things endear you to a fan base, and I, I think Jalen certainly is going to go down for, for a lot of fans as, as 
you know, uh, a player that they're going to remember for a long, long time for yeah. the way that he endeared himself. Yeah, over, over the course of the season, over the course of the season, I, I think Jalen quickly rose up my personal list of some of my favorite players to watch play for KU. And I think there's probably a lot of KU fans that feel the same way, right? Like, through his play, what you were describing with what he did on the floor, right? Through his play and through his passion that he showed for KU. But to me, it was more the stuff off the floor, man. He always said the right thing at the right time, especially this season. He was a fantastic leader. And he, he said time and time again, you know, that this that how much this place means to him, right? And how much KU means to him, how much his team means to him, how much all this stuff means to him. And, and to think it's all because he wasn't even supposed to come here originally, right? So, and, and I think we're starting to see more of that passion from Jalen. And obviously he, for me personally, he, you know, he gave a, he gave a great answer, a great quote to a question that I had at the, at the post game press conference after the Arkansas game, which we're going to play later on here in the hour. But, you know, just that to me really encapsulated everything that he's been for this team. And, and you also talked about how players grow. I don't think, I don't think any player has grown more just personally as a, as a person than maybe Jalen Wilson has over his time at KU. And that's shown. And he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal player, a great human being, and he's and he's said and done all the right things through this season. And I, like I said, I think it's been it's been truly a pleasure to to watch him play this season and watch what he's done this season for KU. And and yeah, it, it does sting a little bit more, you know, knowing that that uh, he's going to be going moving on, but hopefully to to bigger and better things in his life. Yep, absolutely. Um, next negative, I this kind of goes in the same line with the idea of like. When you have players leave and, and that's it for them, there is that level of finality. Obviously, that's the same thing for potentially Grady Dick if he goes pro. Like, uh, it it kind of stinks that that would be the one season he would have at Kansas that had ended in a second round out with as fun of a player as he was, even with some of the ups and downs of, of a freshman season. But I, I think for me, Kevin McCuller, I I just hope he's not forgotten because, um. You know, sometimes there are a little bit more forgettable teams. Like I think the 2014-15 team would classify in that, but. You know, this was a, a good year. You won the Big 12, even though you got a one yeah. seed, even though you lose in the second round. the Big round. 12 was the toughest conference exactly. ever. Exactly. And, and you found a way to win it outright this year. Um, Kevin was really good, and I understand it's never going to be the same level when you're talking about one-year guys, when you're talking about transfers, as the guys who were with you for three, four years, as the guys like Jalen, who were All-Americans, who won national titles and all those things. That, that's not what I'm arguing. I just hope that Kevin gets remembered in the same way that we think of some of the great one-and-dones at Kansas, like a Josh Jackson or an Andrew Wiggins, who came in for a year and was really good for you in that yeah. one year. Kevin was also super fun to cover. He was really easy to talk to, really, really nice well-mannered guy. Yeah. guy. Like, yeah, really nice kid. Like, um, made really – think about all the big plays that he made for KU to win the Big 12 regular season title. I mean, he made a bunch of big plays for KU to win that game. And he's honestly the one I feel the worst for here. With Jalen, it's a sense of almost sorrow that it's, again, the moving yeah, on portion of it. Yeah. With Kevin, I feel bad because Jalen, at the end of the day, can look back and he won a title. You know, with Kevin – he didn't get to experience that deep run attack. I know he was with the team that went to the title game, but he was red shirting. He joined at like midway point in the semester. Uh, as far as his playing career, I think he went to the Sweet 16 last year with Tech. He loses in the second round. Like that's who I feel bad for that he didn't get to get to that point. I guess. Um, and and I hope he's not forgotten because for me, when I think of the All Big Twelve or, or not All Big Twelve, the All Bill Self defensive team. For me, he's immediately on that list. When I think of the all-Bill self 
one-year player team. So whether it's one-year transfers or one-and-dones, I, I would have to think through a little more to think about if you would be in the starting five there, but for sure if he's you have like a 10- or 12-man team, he's on that team. I think the biggest thing for Kevin is through some of the ups and downs maybe that he had earlier in the season, he really truly ended up being everything you could have asked for and then some, right, from a guy transferring in for one year. Like, he brought in that veteran presence. He, he was a phenomenal defensive player. He was a clutch guy who made some big-time plays. He had a clutch three in the game against Arkansas uh, late in the second half. Uh, he just he really turned out to be everything you could have wanted from from a player to come into this program for KU, which which I think was really special because you know earlier in the season when he maybe he was having some more struggles offensively, there there were some questions, right? And and he ended up being everything that you could want. So that's my big takeaway from Kevin McCuller, and, and absolutely I echo what you said about. You know, hopefully he does not get forgotten among you know so many great players for Kansas because he was ultimately a pivotal part of KU winning the Big Twelve title and of their tournament run, even though it was cut short. I mean, he was you know he was he was out there for all the big moments, basically. Uh, my next one is I I'm curious how good Kansas will be next year. Where you don't want to uh, biggest negatives, I guess, would be you don't want to spoil opportunity when you get them like this, where you're a one seed, even though the bracket was very difficult and everything, and it's a tough matchup. Um, I have serious questions about next year's shooting. Now, they could add a bunch of transfers, and we don't know how the offseason is going to go, so I will remain, I don't know, steady on this before I go too into it because we don't totally know for sure. But in theory, if Dewan Harris, KJ Adams, and let's say you move KJ to the four and you start a center like Ernest Uday um, and say El Marco Jackson, who's your big recruit, comes in at the two, like he's known for being – he can score, he can you know drive really well, really athletic – He's known for being more of a shooter or a, a scorer than a shooter, which means probably you're not looking at being like a great three-point shooting team. I have serious questions about that. Like, how good could this team be next year? Could it be one of those years where it is a three or four seed under Bell South? But transfer portal can always be a, a big changer nowadays. Do you have any other negatives? One, Yeah, one other thing I just wanted to talk specifically from the game itself, from the Arkansas game. Ernest, man, this dude has got to figure out how to set a screen. I mean, what, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, thirty in thirty seconds he gets called for two moving screens in the in the first half. Got to figure that out. Yeah. Now definitely. I have I have high hopes for him to progress and and ultimately be a, a stalwart player for KU, but that's an area that he's going to have to improve. Yep. So that was just one little thing I wanted to mention from specifically from the game. All right. Biggest positives. Well, I mean, we talked. You didn't lose the sixteen team. You yep. did not lose the sixteen team. You you are not the punchline <laughs> of the tournament. That is Purdue. Yep. Yep. So I mean, at least you made the second round. Yep, you've now won. You you've now advanced to the second round, and we were talking about the software. How many years in a row now? Uh, every year since two thousand six. So, so two thousand seven on. So what would 16, that be? Seventeen. I think it'd be sixteen because we had the one canceled tournament, oh, I guess right? Had, yeah, the COVID tournament. So, yeah. So sixteen straight wins. Uh, sixteen straight years having at least one win in the tournament. Oh hey, how about this breaking news, real quick? Uh, Kansas forward Cam Martin has entered the transfer portal. Grad transfer. Mm. Do anything for you? Not surprised. Uh, I right? mean, I think it's a, it's, it's. You wish it's him kind the best. Of a, yeah, it's kind of a what could have been. Like, obviously, the injury he had this year kind of, you know, affected that. But I think even, I mean, and you may agree, but I mean, even at best, he was probably going to be the second or third big off the bench, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't think it's a huge loss. But yeah, certainly, you wish him the best. Uh, I think it was a, a fun story for from a guy that played kind of in the area. He played at what Northwest uh, Missouri State, right? Um, no, right? Northwest Missouri State's the one that just, like, keeps winning. He was at, uh... Where was he at? 
Oh Central gosh, where was Missouri? it now? It was something, something Missouri, Missouri, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Missouri Southern, yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of a kind of a cool storyline of like a guy who was still sort of in the area that could have panned out, but but yeah, I don't I don't think it's that big of a loss. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that just opens a scholarship, which I'm sure there will be more players transferring out for KU upcoming. So um, other biggest positives, I think you would assume Bill Self should be back after this. Now I will say, yeah. I, I don't think it's like a a foregone conclusion because if you are having health issues and you are 60 now, Jay Wright just retired at 60, like there's a possibility where Bill Self says, you know what, maybe now is the time to walk away. I also, though, get the sense with how competitive he is. Yeah, yeah. I think the competitor yeah. in him doesn't would, want to go out like wouldn't that. want him to go out like that, right? But but listen, at the end of the day, I mean, I think for KU fans, they might have got a glimpse into something that they hadn't ever wanted to think about, mm-hmm. which is you know life without Bill Self. I mean, you know, for for even people like you and me, I've really only ever known Kansas and Bill Self together. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that's how long he's been and how how dominant he's been for KU. So, yeah, I mean, I think. I think barring his health issues being something to that would like literally prohibit him from coaching, I think you'd expect him to to at least come back for another year uh, as head coach, which is which is certainly very positive. Uh, and and I guess maybe the loss increases the chances of Grady returning. I don't know how much, but uh, I know yeah, he if you was, want to look at he was non-committal time. after the game about it. But like I would say, okay, before the the game started, I would say my percentage of Grady Dick coming back was like 5%. Um, now that they lost, maybe it's 10%. But that is still a low number. And I know I am usually, I, I will say this, I am usually somebody who is very much, all right, guys, stop. He's not coming back. Like last year, there was a, a small contingency, but a contingency of Kansas fans like, oh, but what if Christian Brown does come back? And it's like, no, he was never coming back. He's not coming back. Guys, stop. I I, I, I will put a 10% on it, which is a lot higher than I normally would go, but I still that still means I have a very high chance that I think he's going to go. But yeah, maybe yeah. maybe it does a little bit because you want to, you know, if you're Grady Dick and you've all loved Kansas all your life, like maybe you do have some sort of, I don't know, idea where, hey, I, I've made like a million dollars in NIL already. Sure, I'll make a couple million on my NBA contract, but it's close enough. And, um, yeah, and you know, my he's plan a, here he's was a to be guy here two that, years. He's a guy that has in. talked about how much he, lo- he loves Kansas, right? He was a Kansas fan, I think, growing up, you know? So it's not – with 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 the advent of NIL, it's not that crazy, but it definitely still seems like a long shot. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last one uh, that I have as far as positives go, so if we look at next year's team, the pillars of the team, the returning starters, it's going to be Dewan Harris and KJ Adams, right? Yes. And so you're obviously going to need certain improvements from both guys. From Dewan, I think you look at it and, and say, hey, can you go from being somebody who's averaging eight, nine points per game? Can you average 11 or 12, right? Um, I think with KJ, it could go one of a couple ways. It's if you're going to stay at the five, can you develop a little bit of a back-to-the-basket game? Maybe start hitting hook shots here or there. Or we're going to move you back to like the wings so you're going to play as like a, a four-man, and that way can you start to develop a little bit of a mid-range game or, or a little bit of a dribbling game or whatever it is. Um, that's going to be – this is kind of the fork in the road season for him in the offseason where I think KU really does have to decide this is what you are, this is what your future is going forward as opposed to just being a stopgap five, are you our permanent five, are you our four, whatever it is. But either way, those two guys are going to be pillars in the lineup that you expect to be back as starters. Maybe not just for next year, but maybe a year after that as well. 
And both of them, I thought, were excellent for you in that game. They both balled out in the tournament. Minus really the 10-second call on Dewan. Dewan was excellent. He was the best player on the floor for either team through the first 25 minutes of the game. K.J. Adams was your most important player on the floor. You saw the difference when he was on the floor. You saw the difference when he was off the floor with foul trouble. Yeah. And so to have both those guys coming back as your veteran leaders, as your pillars next year, part of what comes with that is you have to be able to be the go-to guys in clutch moments. I mean, that was a, a clutch moment. You're in the tournament, a second-round game, in a tight game. And, yeah, they end up losing the game. But both players played well. And, and that is a good sign for you yeah. to try to take a jump into next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, listen, any team in the country where you have your point guard and your best big man or your best you know, kind of flex 5-4 guy coming back, you feel pretty good. And then you throw in the fact that Dewan arguably might be one of the best point guards in the country in terms of his assist ability and seeing the floor. And KJ is an elite athlete, right, that can do so many different things for you. You feel pretty good. You yeah. feel pretty good. Any other big positives that you had? Uh, A little more free time on our, our nights now, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I don't. No, that, no, I don't care about that. Okay. All right, he is... Uh, I, need, I need less free time, Derek. Oh. Okay, you have too much free time on your hands. <laughs> All right, if anybody uh, needs like chores done around their house, <laughs> Nick Springer can help you out. Maybe like help clean your gutters or something. Uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, so oh. if it involves okay, getting so on a non heights ladder, related, like vacuuming, yeah, if, if it dishes, on a ladder, laundry, I can't do it. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some uh, post game audio to share for you from Norm Roberts and a couple of the players after the loss for KU. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017. 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app, depending on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at KLWN.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.